Welcome to Full Proof Theology. My name is Chase Davis, and I am your host. I wanted to take a little bit of time on this episode to discuss something that I'm seeing uh, kind of widespread. Do a little bit of a deep dive biblically on what, what it is people are talking about, how people are using a particular passage of Jesus, and, and really how that came to be. Um, I titled this episode, uh, Love Your Neighbors, The New Judge Not, because I'm seeing this passage really ripped out of context and being used for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so what I want to do is explore the context of that passage, where it comes from the old, in, in the Old Testament, Leviticus particularly, um, explore its application, particularly in reference to uh, health issues that, that our country is facing uh, with coronavirus and, and other things. And so that's kind of where we're going to go on today's episode. First, I want to start with uh, why. How did, this, how did this happen? How did it go from uh, judge not being the most kind of commonly used verse ripped out of context to uh, bludgeon others into kind of uh, acceptance of certain things to love your neighbor. Well, I think judge not was an ethic that was popular and had a very libertarian mindset. Like, don't judge me, leave me alone. Let me have my freedom and do what I want. Please don't judge me. And I think it was very popular to use the phrase judge not, um, obviously in a in an unbiblical way, but still use it uh, by non-Christians to use it in a way when Christianity was more dominant culturally. So when Christianity was more dominant culturally, judge not became kind of this way that people would try to curtail the impact of Christianity in their lives. And so they would say, look, even Jesus says, judge not, therefore leave me alone. And so it's this kind of libertarian mindset where uh, if I'm not a Christian, I don't need to submit to God's ways, God's laws. Please just don't judge me at least. At least, can you at least follow Jesus and not judging me? And that's kind of the idea. Now, with Christian dominance and culture really uh, not being a thing, um, other than kind of like this this thing that used to have power that now haunts us, um, now love your neighbor has become more of a common phrase that we hear. And we, we hear it because love your neighbor has more of an obedience mindset. Whereas judge not was like, leave me alone. Love your neighbor has to do more with compliance. So it's telling people, Let, don't you want to love your neighbor? Don't you want to do what Jesus did? Well, this is what it means to love your neighbor. And it's a bludgeon being used to encourage obedience. And so as the cultural influence of Christianity became replaced by, let's call it secularism, godlessness, uh, it, it became kind of the, the go-to thing to, to talk about what is most loving. Well, what is most loving are these policies, are these health prescriptions, are these uh, pronouns, whatever it is that fits in that kind of junk drawer that's being created called love your neighbor. And, and really, it comes down to uh, those in power don't appreciate being undermined. Uh, people who resist the kind of cultural current, people who are rocks in the cultural current, uh, tend to annoy those with cultural dominance and cultural influence. And so judge not was more of a speaking to power. Love your neighbor is the power speaking down to uh, those they're trying to kind of control. And so we saw this July 11th of this year, uh, 2021, we saw Vice President Kamala Harris um, kind of use this phrase. She kind of did a hodgepodge of religions uh, talking about getting the vaccine. She talked about how it, it's loving your neighbor, love thy neighbor. And there, I, I don't know how to put a video or a tweet up, but you can go look at look at that. Uh, you can actually just Google it and find love your neighbor uh, Kamala Harris. 
And you can find that. So it's it's definitely reached a, a place in society of influence and widespread kind of misapplication. So what I want to do is look at the original context. It's from Matthew 22:37, And this is when a, a Pharisee and Sadducees are kind of grilling them, uh, grilling Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So this guy already is trying to test Jesus. Jesus knows when people are trying to test him. We like to think we know more than we do, but Jesus knows. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and with all your strength is in a different passage. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to ask, where's Jesus pulling this from? Well, Jesus isn't making these things up. He's actually pulling from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Uh, and in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, he says, when he says a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what he's doing is he's summarizing the entire law and prophets, the entire Old Testament is, is upheld by these two laws, these two undergirding foundational uh, ideas, principles that, that shape the, our interpretation and our use of God's law. And so, first of all, it's comical when people who have no interest in God's law try to take a, a verse from the Old Testament and use it to apply to whatever they want. Uh, that's, that's a very dangerous thing to do with God's word. Um, and so it's a quote from Leviticus. I want to look at Leviticus 19. Jesus is referencing it because Jesus knows the Bible. Uh, he, he would have studied the Bible. He grew up teaching in the temple. And so he knows what he's talking about. Uh, not, not to mention he's God. Uh, but Leviticus 19, uh, it's talking about a lot of different things. It has a couple sections. And, and one of the headings, even in my ESV translation, says, love your neighbor as yourself. But Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Jesus is just taking Leviticus and, and using it in this context to rebut this lawyer that's testing Jesus to put Jesus to the test. And so it's a summation of the law. God defines what love is. We don't get to try to insert into God's law what we believe to be most loving. We can deduce from the principles in God's law what is most loving. Uh, I would argue that a lot of the reason our world is in the shape that it's in is because uh, pastors and Christians have such a diminished view of God's law. They've reduced it to simply being something like a uh, x-ray machine, where the only usefulness of the, the Old Testament of the law is just to point out that we're not good people and we're sinners. And that, that is a, a use of it, but that's such a myopic view of the Old Testament. We don't preach God's law to uh, people who don't know God. Uh, it's as if we, we only see God's law is useful for those who attend church services just to show them they're not good enough so that they can look to Jesus more. And outside of that, we do not take God's law outside of our church context and proclaim it to nations, to other people, and say, look, this is the standard, and you're not living up to it, and we need to repent and turn to Christ who did live up to it. And so this kind of like cudgeling of God's law to be something we just don't preach on, that's not proclaimed from pulpits. That's not loved, even though David says he meditates on God's law. He loves the law of God. It's not something that we've actually, in evangelicalism, uh, sought to up, uphold and really uh, proclaim. 
uh, as a form of our gospel preaching. And so what I want to do is I want to look at one particular application in God's law uh, that deals with health codes. And I think this might be useful as we explore um, our current civil kind of health uh, prescriptions regarding coronavirus. Um, and a lot of this kind of insight comes from a guy named Andrew Sandlin. You can go look up Andrew Sandlin, uh, his blog, and it, it, it's great. He runs the Center for Cultural Transformation, and he does a really helpful, he just had a really helpful article today or yesterday come out talking about this issue. And so I want to go to Leviticus 13 because this is God's law, and, and Jesus is saying, look, if you want to love your neighbor, you need to know God's law. And God's law determines, God determines what love is, and he has given us his law to show us what it means to love our neighbor. So in Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, he says this, um, and it's regarding leprous people. And so this is a whole section on what to do with law, uh, leprous, leprosy, uh, which back then encompassed a wide range of afflictions and diseases. Um, but he's trying to shape Israel into a people that knows how to love their neighbor. And so what does it mean to love your neighbor if your neighbor becomes sick or ill or has an infectious disease? Well, thankfully, God tells us in his law uh, what they did and what he did uh, or what he commanded his people to do back then. And so Leviticus 13, 45 to 46 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover the upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And then he goes on about various other diseases, uh, about what they should do, how they should wash, how they should treat the leprous person. Um, and so I want to do two things. I want to talk about how this shapes our understanding of civil law today regarding health. And then I want to show how Jesus deals with leprous people in the New Testament. So first, civil law. How does this shape civil law? Well, what we see Jesus, I'm sorry, what we see God prescribe to his people in his law and his kind of these civil uh, applications, which there's there's a lot of uh, confusion, we could say, but there's a long history of different interpretations of God's law, whether it's the sacrificial system or the civil law or, or other things like that. And what I'm talking about specifically, what we're looking at here is the civil law. And we're seeing that when God gave this command, it was for specifically infected people who noticeably presented symptoms of a disease. And so with those particular people, those pe people were commanded to do certain things so as not to spread that disease to other people. So those who uh, were symptomatic had to do certain things, wear certain clothes, and it was a preventative measure to prevent the spread of disease throughout the camp. And that's different than what's happening today because it's not a preemptive measure. Uh, God doesn't command the entire nation of Israel to then take up measures to prevent themselves from getting leprosy. Just because one person becomes, becomes infected, the whole nation of Israel doesn't have to do these things that the leprous person has to do. God obviously cares about the health of his people, the safety of his people, and he wants to show people, look, loving your neighbor looks like this. If you get this kind of disease, it means that you should love your neighbor enough to, to quarantine, so to speak, to self-isolate, uh, living alone. I mean, it's a, it's a really horrible, uh, horrible in the sense of like tragic uh, way to live. Once you become infected, there's a sense of aloneness. You're outside the camp. These are, these are big concepts that uh, would be very sad. But we see that 
what God says in a civil law is that we should take preventative measures. We can take preventative measures, but not preemptive laws that would uh, quarantine, for example, all the healthy people in Israel. Uh, that makes no sense whatsoever. And we see that kind of nonsense play out uh, day after day, after day and nation after nation, particularly if you look at like Australia is a good example right now of how they, they just do not know God's law. They just do not know it. And yet we're being told by people to love your neighbor means that you go against God's law, which is, it, is sad. It, it's sad, and it's, it's a misuse of the Bible, and God doesn't take that lightly. Um, and, and so when we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus actually engage leprous people. It's very interesting, and this shaped the ethic of the early church, that when people were sick, no longer did they live outside the camp, but the Christians wouldn't care for people because that's what Jesus did. Now, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we go out to people, we love people, we care for people, we minister to people, um, and we, we teach them in a lot of ways how to die well, if that is what God has allotted to them in various cases. And so there should be a sense of like going out to leprous people, not to go against God's civil law, but as the church, we should be a people who model the love of Christ by caring for those who are sick. And so this idea, this twofold idea, one, that we should quarantine everyone who's healthy, goes against God's civil law, and two, that we should avoid people who are sick, goes against the ethics of Jesus. Well, we've got ourselves a real mess on our hands because that that just totally convolutes the way God designed the world to work. And when we go against the way God designed the world to work, it will result in more chaos and less, we could use the word human flourishing if you want or whatever it is, less good for humanity. And so we should love people who are sick, care for the sick and dying. This is what the early church has done. This is what the church has done throughout the ages. And I've talked about that on another episode uh, where I talk about the Reformation and Calvin dealing with the plague. Um, this kind of gets into, oh, an overlap there is I've seen a quote uh, from Luther kind of going around on social media over the last two years about what he recommended during a plague. And it's interesting, if you wanted to visit Christianity Today, I, I don't necessarily recommend it at this point, but they actually, from Fortress Press, they copied and, and got permission to uh, post the letter that Luther wrote to uh, to someone in a city where the plague had broken out. And of course, this plague back then had a 40% death rate, fatality rate, unlike um, you know the, the current disease uh, for certain population groups uh, has a has a much lower lower death rate than that. Praise God, thank God for that. Um, and so there's been kind of this ripping out of context, this Luther idea of like we should do whatever we can, uh, and and we should fumigate the air and that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting that people are willing to rip that out of context, particularly given the other things that are in that letter regarding God's judgment being the form of plagues and and uh, and really, there's a lot of human liberty that Luther gives people, whether it's like, should you flee? Should you go to another town? Should you just leave the town once the plague shows up? And so Luther actually does a great job of modeling Christian liberty and freedom of conscience in that letter, I believe. Um, and so it's interesting that the people who want to to mask use or, or lockdowns, whatever prescription that the civil government is is utilizing currently, uh, will will... Uh, favor that quote, but then they won't look at the rest of the letter, and they probably wouldn't favor anything else in the letter. Um, and so this comes down to a question of like, really in, in practical uses, is getting a, a shot loving your neighbor. And, you know, the Bible uh, doesn't exactly deal with vaccines, although I'm sure if I looked close enough, I could find some principles for particular uh, medical treatments that deal with, uh, you know, 
preventative health, that kind of thing. And, and we could look at the uh, the leprosy issue and perhaps deduce some principles about taking the vaccine. And I, I think the vaccine is, is fairly effective. Um, there's interesting studies coming out from Israel and other places about its usefulness, or there's breakthrough cases. But in general, if you have the vaccine, you're not seeing outcomes of, of death. And so we see the, the vaccine being effective. Um, and so it's a freedom of conscience issue that, look, if you believe and, and, and you need the vaccine and you're in a place in life where it's, it's good for you, and it, uh, then yeah, get the vaccine. You have freedom of conscience to do it. But should we, should we use the concept of loving your neighbor to then use that as the motivation for getting the vaccine? Well, the use of that command to apply it to mandating a vaccine becomes highly suspect in terms of biblical interpretation. Not because it may not be, but it feels awfully similar to the way Kamala Harris uses it or other politicians, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, who, who simply want to get what they want, a certain thing done, and then gloss over it with Jesus's command as if using Jesus gives them moral credibility. That's disturbing. We should not uh, put up with that kind of rhetoric, and we should not be propagating that kind of rhetoric. And so, you know, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it could be considered loving your neighbor. Um, I think that's an ethical question that that we can wrestle with. Um, I'm sure there's some of you out here who wish I would come down more hard line on it, like yes or no. Um, but I think taking care of your health, yes, could be considered a form of loving your neighbor. It's definitely loving your family. If you stay healthy, remain healthy, you're not a gluttonous person. You are not a lazy person. You work hard. Uh, you're physically active and, and you take care of your health. That's a thing that's going to benefit your family because you're going to be able to provide and protect uh, them as a man, particularly. But in terms of loving one's neighbor, I, I, uh, I'm not sure that vaccines fall within that scope. We can talk about the the beauty of vaccines from polio to other things throughout the ages and, and the wonder of modern medicine, which is a result of Christian culture. And we can talk about all that and that's all good and well. But in terms of mandating uh, something, some health procedure and then glossing over with Jesus's command, that that's awfully scary to me. I don't, I don't like that. And it's not going to be a helpful model of discourse for us going forward because that's where we get into trouble. If we start using loving your neighbor as a way to just kind of enforce what we want. Well, that's that's a prescription for disaster. And and to use the word tyranny um, very precisely, that would be a tyrannical approach to God's law in a way that doesn't honor God's law. It just seeks to get your agenda across. Um, most of the secular attempts to subject God's law to their standard has to do with safety rather than any kind of uh, honoring individual freedom and, and really human rights, it has to do with safety than it has to do with actual love. They don't know God's law. It's our job as Christians to tell them about God's law. Uh, but we should ask what it means to love. What is love? If, if people are so insistent that we should love our neighbor, cool. What does that mean? Where does that come from? And why are we using it in that way? The Bible defines, God defines what is loving. And when people try to force their political agenda onto the Bible, well, boy, we should be extremely careful. We should 
take the Bible and let it inform our world. This is one thing that, that I've been exploring a lot lately. The Bible should shape society. Uh, when we make disciples of all nations, it should shape those nations to reflect God's love and justice and mercy. Um, and there's been a lot of talk of that over the last two years. But we need to be clear that our culture worships safety and security and is willing to give up a large degree of freedom in order to worship those two things, safety, security, even um, even like kind of indulgence with uh, with pleasure and that kind of thing. Francis Schaeffer talks, talks a lot about that, where our, our world just worships self-satisfaction through pleasure and, and safety. Um, and when we try to comport the Bible and Jesus's command and, the, and God's command to love our neighbor into this thing of like loving your neighbor by doing certain policy things that that don't really find a home uh, in God's law. That's that's very disturbing. Uh, that's very disturbing. It, it turns into kind of this thing where we take certain assumptions, like safety and security being the ultimate thing, um, and then we take it to the Bible and we almost do what uh, Thomas Jefferson did to the Bible, where he cut out the part he didn't like, and we take it to the Bible and we just leave the parts that speak to safety and security. And then we have like, love your neighbor, and it means these things because that's what sounds nice to me. And this is where you kind of get into the rise of the modern self and uh, expressive individualism and all these kind of things where people deserve to feel safe in safe spaces and that kind of thing. And therefore, loving your neighbor means using the correct pronouns. Even the Gospel Coalition put out an article about pronoun hospitality, how loving your neighbor means you have to use people's preferred pronouns. And and right now that's kind of a dumpster fire of an approach, not because I, I, I know people, I know Christians in my life who uh, they've chosen to to adopt that model and, and they believe in that kind of thing. Um, I just view it as a kind of an endless appeasement uh, where it, it'll never stop. Um, uh, it'll just never end in terms of what people prefer to be called and that kind of thing. And so I think that goes back to we have to honor expressive individualism, make people feel safe. And when we say love your neighbor and the best way to love your neighbor is make them feel safe. Well, gosh, then, you know, uh, for example, in New Zealand, they just said uh, you're not allowed to talk when you go outside your home. You're not allowed to have a conversation. Well, shoot, that that doesn't sound like loving your neighbor to me. That like I don't see that in this God's law. I don't see that. Uh, if we're supposed to go proclaim the gospel, make disciples, we're supposed to preach the gospel to the nations. We're supposed to make disciples. Using your using your words is kind of essential to that task. And so at the very least, here's what I would say. We need to be able to see the absurdity in a lot of what is going on. If we're not able to acknowledge there are many absurd solutions being offered because there's no attention paid to God's ways, then we're in a world of trouble later because we can't show the absurd and laugh at the absurd and point out how God's ways are better, then then we're just going to keep giving up on influence and shaping culture. And we're just going to kind of go along with the flow and become subservient. A lot of people, they're really interested in, uh, or I, I, I should say they're not interested in individual rights and liberty. They're scared. That sounds like uh, a boogeyman that they think is Christian nationalism. And so they're like, we just need to love Jesus and love others. We don't need to worry about our rights. And it's like, boy, that is a policy prescription right there that is not from the Bible uh, because Christians should be very concerned with the dignity and worth of all people and how we treat people. And I, I would say one of the most loving things you can do is ensure that they stay free, their conscience stays free 
they are uh, they their rights are protected, and so we can't just jettison civilization and and kind of Western civilization, particularly in its uh, development of individual rights and freedoms. We can't just jettison that just because we want to carve out kind of this gospel-centered approach where it's just about Jesus and let's just not talk about all this. We need to talk about it because we failed to preach the full counsel of the Word of God. Um, so I hope this was helpful to you. Uh, obviously, that's kind of my heart behind this podcast is to be helpful. Uh, if you've got feedback for me, how I can make my arguments better or things you disagree with, uh, feel free to share with me. You can send me an email, um, leave a comment, shoot me a message on Facebook, whatever it is. Uh, share this episode with somebody else who um, who you're trying to get a conversation started, who maybe you see using this uh, phrase in a strange way, or, or, or maybe it's just a way you want to equip others and have a conversation with others. Share this episode, uh, give it a great review, uh, and and really, uh, we we really want to equip people to think more deeply about current issues than than really our secular uh, framework allows for. We want to look to God's ways, and that so that's my heart behind the podcast. Hopefully, this episode was helpful to you, and um, we'll continue talking about kind of things in a in a deep way, uh, look behind the scenes, so to speak, of what's going on in our world. So, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. 